السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Prophet says in a hadith related by Anas ibn Malik and recorded by Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan Yati ala nasi zamanun asabiru fihim ala deenihi kalqabidhi ala aljamr. A time will come upon the people during which a person who remains perseverant and steadfast on his faith will be like one who is clutching cinders, clutching burning coals. Indeed, this is the prophecy of Rasulullah This narration is one of the more famous ones, but there are other narrations also which contain the same message from different Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, time will come or there will be days after you during which to remain steadfast and perseverant on one's religion will be akin to clutching cinders. It won't be easy. And of course, the Prophet ﷺ is speaking of the days of fitna again. But the days of fitna haven't just started recently. They started during the time of the Sahaba. So even the Sahaba, despite being who they were, they were tested. They suffered too. In fact, the Sahaba عنهم, were themselves persecuted. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, the famous, well, sorry, the infamous governor of Iraq and the military strongman of the Umayyads, he lived during the time of the younger Sahaba. And the narrator of this hadith, which I've just quoted, is famous companion Anas ibn Malik And he used to live in Basra, in Iraq. Despite being the khadim, i.e. the personal attendant of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, despite having been a prolific narrator, of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, despite being revered 
by his disciples, students, and other Muslims of his time. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, who was the Umayyad governor of Iraq, he actually used to persecute Anas ibn Malik Even though Anas, even though Hajjaj ibn Yusuf wasn't a Sahabi, he was much, much inferior in grade than Anas ibn Malik And yet, he would persecute Anas ibn Malik and this is why Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his Sahih that someone came to the same Anas ibn Malik and complained to him of the ill treatment and the persecution that they were facing at the hands of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So Anas ibn Malik reply to them was, Isbiru, be patient. For there is never a time, except that the time that will come after it will be worse than the one before it. And this will continue until you meet your Lord. Therefore just remain patient. Indeed, I have heard this from your noble messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So even the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, suffered persecution, repression, at the hands of those who were in a position of power and influence and authority. So, yet... The Prophet ﷺ had already prophesied this. So when, when the Prophet ﷺ says in this hadith related by Tirmidhi from Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anh, that a time will come upon the people during which remaining steadfast on one's religion will be like someone holding on to Cinders, clutching cinders. Now, that's almost an impossible task. Jamra in Arabic refers to the coal which the fire may have gone out, but the coal itself is still burning. So it's not impossible to hold because it's, it's in its last stages. But indeed, if you do hold it, you will burn yourself, and it won't be easy. It's not impossible, but it's almost impossible. Extremely difficult. And truly, if this was the case during the time of the Sahaba, you can just imagine how it must be for believers who come much later. At times, we will all face such circumstances and situations in which it's extremely difficult for us to remain patient and perseverant and steadfast on our religion. Because these are the days of fitna, the days of confusion, of disharmony, of discord, of conflict. And 
the picture that the Prophet has portrayed of fitna is very graphic in many different hadith. For instance, in one hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, Prophet said, Satakunu fitan. There will be fitan, the plural of fitna. There will be fitan. Al-qa'idu fiha khayrun min al-qa'im. Wal-qa'imu fiha khayrun min al-mashi. Wal-mashi fiha khayrun min al-sa'i. There will be fitan during which someone who is seated is far better than one who is standing. And someone who is standing is far, in these days of fitna is far better than one who is walking. And someone who is walking is far better than one who is running. So what we learn from, and the same thing is mentioned in other narrations, what we learn is that there will be days of fitna during which the, the less involved a person is, the far better for him. The more he or she keeps himself to himself or herself, it's better for them. The more a person secludes oneself from this confusion, this disharmony, this discord, it's far better for them. So much so that the less you move, the less of a target you are. In, imagine if you're in danger and there are snipers. There are snipers. It's far better for you to lie low. If you move, even slowly, your movements will attract attention. And you will be exposed as a target. Now, I'm not just giving this example randomly, because the hadith continues. So the Prophet ﷺ says, there will be fitn, plural of fitna, during which someone who is sitting is far better than someone who is standing. Someone who is standing is far better than someone who is walking. Someone who is walking is far better than someone who is running. And then the Prophet ﷺ continues, whoever peeps at fitna, i.e. raises his head to the fitna, the fitna will come to him. Whoever peeps at the fitna, the fitna will come to him. Whoever raises his head to it, the fitna will come to him. In, the, in those days, the Prophet wasallam ends a hadith with the words, whoever can find any shelter or refuge, then let him take shelter therein. It's almost like the Prophet ﷺ is describing a war zone. If you can find shelter, find shelter. If you can find safety, take refuge therein. Don't raise your head. Otherwise you'll become a target. The fitna will come for you. The words of the hadith are tastashrifu, meaning whoever peeps at it, the fitna will come to him. Whoever raises his head, the fitna will come to him. And the less movement there is, 
the safer it is for you. Otherwise, you attract unwanted attention and you become a target. This is why someone who's running is at the greatest danger. Who's in a less danger than that person? Someone who's not running but walking. And someone who's walking, the one who's even safer than the walking person is someone who's standing still. No movement. And even better than the one standing still is the one sitting. And even better than the one sitting is the one lying down. So the Prophet ﷺ is describing a war zone. But he's not talking about battle. He's talking about fitna. And fitna could be, of course, we're not talking about the minor fitna in one's family with wealth, children, etc. No, we're talking about the great fitna, where there is social disharmony, discord, strife, sedition, or there is confusion in religion. Confusion in religion is a fitna too. And in this confusion, in this persecution, remember, a believer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sunnah in his creation is that those who believe will be persecuted. Allah says in the Quran, what? Do people think? That they will be left alone simply because they have said, Amanna, we have believed. And that they won't be tested. When indeed we tested those who came before them. And then the verse continues, مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ وَزُلْزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهَ لَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ What do you think? What do you think? That you will just enter Jannah like that? Even though the likes of those days that visited those who came before you have not yet visited you. And then Allah goes on to describe the affliction and the tests and the tribulations that befell those who came before us, including the messenger and his companions. So much so that even the messenger exclaimed, when will the help of Allah arrive? And there are many such verses. They are ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test the believers. That's a fact. And one of the reasons is so that Allah may distinguish. And in one verse, That Allah is not one to leave the believers as you are. Meaning that you say we are Muslim, we've embraced Islam, and that's it. We're happy. We won't be tested. No. Allah is not one to leave you just because you've said you're Muslim. Until Allah tests you. And in testing you, until Allah distinguishes the impure from the pure, the bad from the good. Allah filters the good. Allah removes the impure. 
That's the very meaning of fitna. As I've explained before. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test the believers. And all of the believers, at all times, the prophets of Allah, the believers with them, have been tested. And those who haven't been tested much, they shouldn't feel safe. The truth is, they are of a lower grade. This is why in the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَاءُ ثُمَّ لَمْثَلْ ثُمَّ لَمْثَلْ That the, most in, the people who are most intensely tested by Allah are the prophets, and then the best, and then the best. So even the messengers of Allah, <coughs> have been severely tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's a very that's a test of faith. That is the test of faith. That does a person remain sincere to Allah. And this is why in one hadith, Prophet said. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that hasten with good deeds before the arrival of such fitan that will be like the dark that will be the la- that will be like parts of the dark night. And then in the hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa continues, A man yusbihu rajulu mu'mina wa yumsi kafira. Or yumsi mu'mina wa yusbihu kafira. That a man will be a believer in the morning and a disbeliever in the evening. Or a believer in the evening and a disbeliever the next morning. And then one narration, dunya. He will sell his faith for some wealth of the world. And subhanAllah, we've seen that. We've seen that. It doesn't mean that a person announces in the morning, I'm a Muslim. And in the evening, oh, I'm not a Muslim. Or, I'm a Muslim in the evening. The next morning, I'm not a Muslim. No. He or she may think, I am a Muslim. But their deeds are such, so far removed from religion, from Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Their loyalty is so fickle that through their disloyalty to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they remove themselves from religion. And... Religion will become so cheap, so worthless in the eyes of people, that they will sell their religion, they will sell their akhirah, they will sell their faith, they will sell their souls, they will sell themselves for a few pieces of silver. For some meager wealth of the dunya, they will sell their loyalty to Allah and His Messenger. They will sell... It's not just their loyalty to Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The truth is, they will sell their faith, their religion, their own soul. For a few meager pennies of the dunya. Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said, A time will come when this will happen. So in such days, without doubt, it's difficult to hold on to one's religion, to hold on to one's principles, to hold on to one's scruples, to go against the flow. Everyone's marching in one direction, 
and someone who wishes to fear Allah, someone who wishes to live their life according to their faith, according to their true teachings. It's not easy. And indeed for them, it's almost like holding on, clutching on, clutching cinders, clutching coals. Prophet ﷺ prophesies this. So what do we do? Of course, we can identify such situations. So what do we do in such situations? Well, first of all, sabr, patience. At times, there's not much else we can do in the face of provocation, in the face of persecution, when denied rights, when persecuted. Remember, this could be in any setting, any time. Unfortunately, Muslims anyone of faith becomes a target of persecution. Even from fellow Muslims. So let's just look at the Sahaba anhum. What was wrong with Anas ibn Malik What was wrong with some of the other Sahaba anhum? Those who survived till the days of the Umayyad dynasty. What was wrong with them? What wrong had they done? What sin had they committed? What crime had they committed? And yet, they were persecuted. They were actually killed. Some of the Sahaba were executed. In cold blood. They were murdered. On occasions, they were massacred. By fellow Muslims or those who call themselves Muslims. Not Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, but the Sahaba were persecuted and killed and murdered and their property confiscated and stolen by those who weren't companions but who claimed to be Muslims. So unfortunately persecution, repression, being a victim has always been part of the life of a Muslim. So what can a person do on such occasions? If, if the situation can be rectified, then fine. But if it can't, look at the Sahaba. Despite being Sahaba, they couldn't do anything. So what do they do? The first lesson is sabr, patience. And the meaning of patience isn't, oh, I'll just accept. Many words of Arabic, when they are imported into other languages, they become very narrow and restricted in their meaning. For instance, sadaqah. Our concept of sadaqah is very different to the original meaning of sadaqah in Arabic. Similarly, our concept of sabr is restricted. We think sabr because the word sabr has entered into all languages spoken by Muslims. But when we say sabr, we tend to think it means patience, just patience, nothing else, i.e. acceptance. But that's actually incorrect. And it narrows and restricts our understanding of the hadith and teachings of Rasulullah. Originally in Arabic, 
The meaning of sabr isn't just patience. It also means steadfastness and perseverance. That means you continue to do what you were doing before. You don't change, i.e. you remain steadfast upon the religion of Allah, upon obedience. Otherwise, acceptance, that's inevitable. You have to come to accept. This is why in one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he saw a lady cry over a grave. So he told her, patience. She responded to him by saying, what do you know of my calamity? She never recognized him. Later, she came to realize or was told that that was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So she came to the house to apologize. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to her that in sabr inda sadmati al-ula, that patience, sabr, is at the time of the first shock. Sabr is at the time of the first shock. What the hadith tells us is if we consider sabr to simply mean acceptance, that's true anyway. When a person suffers bereavement, eventually they come to terms with their loss. Everyone learns to accept because they can't do anything. That's not the meaning of sabr. What sabr means is that the first instance of shock, a person doesn't swerve or sway. A person remains firm and steadfast upon their religion. This is why in Surah Al-Baqarah, in that famous long verse about what constitutes piety and virtue, towards the end of the verse, Allah says, وَالصَّابِرِينَ فِي الْبَأْسَاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ وَحِينَ الْبَأْسِ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُتَّقُونَ Meaning the virtue and piety is of those people who are not patient, but وَالصَّابِرِينَ فِي الْبَأْسَاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ who are steadfast in adversity, in affliction, and even in conflict. These are the ones who are true, and these are the ones of taqwa. So what sabr means isn't just patience. What sabr means is that you remain perseverant and firm and steadfast upon your faith. That's the meaning of sabr. So in the days of fitna, one doesn't just say, oh, I accept things as they are. We have to accept. We, we can't change that. The meaning of sabr isn't we just accept. The meaning of sabr is, that of course, we accept, but we don't allow that to influence or affect our commitment, our firmness, our steadfastness, our perseverance on our deeds, on our faith. We must continue. So that's the first thing, sabr. Just as Bukhari relates from Anas radiyallahu anhu, Someone came to him and complaining about the persecution that they faced at the hands of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, the governor. So Anas radiyallahu anh said, first thing, ismiru, be patient. For there will never come a time, except that the time after it will be worse. What, what this means is, we have this idea that things will get better. But as I've explained on numerous occasions, Allah never intended for the world to be paradise. There is no Jannah on earth. There is no kingdom on earth. There's no such concept. 
If Allah wished to have made kingdom on earth for anyone, he would have done it for his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is no kingdom on earth. This is an abode of trial and tribulation. Why? We don't understand. It's the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no kingdom on earth. There's no concept of creating perfection in the dunya. In any way, socially, personally, politically. It's remarkable. In, in Arabic, the, me, the word for state is dawla. Plural, dawl. So the word for state is dawla. Now remember that, the word for state is dawla. Where does the word dawla come from? It comes from mudawala. And Allah says, وَتِلْكَ الْأَيَّامُ نُدَاوِلُهَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ And these are days, i.e. of good and bad fortune, that we alternate between the people. نُدَاوِلُهَا دَوْلَةً the very meaning of dawla in Arabic is an entity, a government, a state, which fades in and out, rises and falls. It has its turn of power. The meaning of dawla is its turn of power. So every state has its turn of power. Every government has its turn of power. Every empire has its turn of power. Nothing ever lasts. Many empires were... It was dreamt of these empires that they would last a thousand years. The Roman Empire. The Nazi Reich. And many others. Empires are meant to rise and fall. Powers are meant to rise and fall. There's no perfection. Today it's A, tomorrow it's B. Then it's C. So the idea that we can create a perfect world, it's, there's no such concept in Islam. This is why Anas ibn Malik said to them that I have heard from your messenger وسلم, that each time will be worse than the other, the previous one. And this is why in another hadith, speaking about fitan, the Prophet وسلم, said, fitan will come. Each one, a person will feel that this is going to... Each subsequent fitan will dilute the previous one. Each later fitna, each subsequent fitna, will dilute the previous one. How will it dilute it? The meaning is, at the time of one fitna, a person will think, this is going to destroy me. <coughs> then he manages to scrape through. Then the next one comes. The next one that comes is, so much, is, is much worse. It's so severe that it makes him forget the first one. And he thinks, this will now finish me off. And then he manages to scrape through, comes the third one. The third one will dilute the two previous ones. This is the meaning of the hadith. 
each subsequent fitna will dilute the previous one. And he thinks, this is going to finish me off. And in this way, he, he stumbles from calamity to calamity. That's what Allah says in the Quran. Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqi. O man, you shall toil a toiling unto your Lord and then you shall meet him. We toil, we struggle, we move from one struggle to the next, to the next, to the next, until if the fitan don't finish us off, death claims us. And then we will meet our Lord. That's the reality of life. So Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anh said to the, uh, those who came to him, complaining of the persecution of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, first things, Hadith of Bukhari, be patient. For I have heard, for indeed there is no time except that the one that comes after it will be worse than the one before. This is what I have heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This will continue until you meet your law. Imam Abu Dawood rahmatullahi alayhi relates hadith in the Sunan from Al-Miqdad ibn al-Aswad radiyallahu anhu, who says, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ السَّعِيدَ لَمَنْ جُنِّبَ الْفِتَنْ إِنَّ السَّعِيدَ لَمَنْ جُنِّبَ الْفِتَنْ إِنَّ السَّعِيدَ لَمَنْ جُنِّبَ الْفِتَنْ Fortunate, the, indeed the fortunate one is he, who is protected and saved from fitness, from fitan. And he repeated this thrice. Indeed, the fortunate one is he who is protected and saved from fitan. Indeed, the fortunate one is he who is saved and protected from fitan. But then the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever is tested with these fitan, whoever is subjected to these fitan, and then he remains patient, the Prophet ﷺ said, فصبر فواها. The meaning of fawaha is what we know in Urdu, wah. In Urdu, in Asian languages, we have, we say wah wah, meaning bravo, bravo, bravo. And in Urdu, you say wah wah. It's a, it's a, we think it's an Urdu word, it comes from Arabic. So it's actually in the hadith, fasabara fawaha. Meaning marvelous, how marvelous. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Yes, the fortunate one is he who is protected from fitna. Thrice he said it. But if someone is tested by fitna, and then he remains patient, then that's marvelous. Wah, wah. And in another hadith later by Imam Malik in his Muwatta, Abdullah ibn Umar anhuma, he was in Medina. Things were difficult for the people of Medina after the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam during the time of the Umayyads. It was a t- Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested even the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. I've told you that when Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan passed away in the 60th year of Hijrah, uh, his, his rule ended in the 60th, 61st year of Hijrah. His, in fact, 60 years. 60th year, his son Yazid took over and he ruled for four years. Subhanallah. In those four years, the grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhum was brutally massacred along with his family members in Karbala, in Iraq. 
Medina was attacked. And in such a brutal manner, just within those four years, that by the Umayyad army, that people, it's a Muslim city. The masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasn't spared. Homes weren't spared. Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were killed. It was actually known as the massacre of the Harra. Harra meaning one of the two lava tracts of Medina. This was known as the battle or the massacre of the Harra. Makkah al-Mukarramah was attacked. So this was just in those days. And then more followed later. Hajjaj came later. So Abdullah ibn Umar was in Medina. And a lady came to him and said, times have become very difficult for us. And I intend to leave Medina. So she came seeking the counsel of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma became annoyed and firmly told her, sit down. And then he made her listen to a hadith. She said, I want to leave Medina. We're talking about within a few decades of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam leaving this world. So she said, oh, Ibn Umar, I want to leave Medina. She came to seek his advice. He scolded her and said to her, sit down. And then he related a hadith to her. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whoever remains patient over the difficulty and the hardship of Medina, then on the day of reckoning, I will be an intercessor or a witness on their behalf on the day of judgment. So whoever remains patient during the days of fitna, inshallah, they will earn the intercession and shafa'ah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Messenger of Allah will testify on their behalf on the day of judgment. So hadith of Imam Malik in his muwatta. So one is patience and perseverance. That's the one thing we can do. Secondly, as I've explained before, we need to concern ourselves with ourselves and seclude ourselves. The less involved you are in fitna, the far better. Which means, in fact, this idea that solitude is bad, it's mentioned in the hadith. Time and time again, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, Imam Malik again relates in his muatta from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, that the Prophet ﷺ said, Soon a time will come when the best wealth of a Muslim is sheep or goats, meaning a flock of sheep or goats, with which he flees to the peaks of mountains or to the falling places of rain, meaning high altitudes. Why does he go there? He flees with his religion from fitna, from fitna. Prophet said, a time will come when the best wealth a person can have, his home will be of no use to him. His mansion, his palatial home, his properties, his estate, 
None of these will be of any use to him. The best wealth any Muslim can have is a few sheep or a few goats with which he removes himself from the people and lives alone. Where? Either in a valley or high up in the mountains. Isolated. No contact, no communication. And what does he do there? He worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why in one hadith of... He, you see, the, the, there's a thing here. The wording of the hadith is, He flees with his religion from fitna. But there's a very subtle lesson here, which is, one shouldn't think that, oh, I need to flee with my religion. I am too good. People will corrupt me. So I need to keep myself to myself. People are bad and I am good. That's why in one hadith, the Prophet said, the meaning of the hadith is, whoever says that the people have perished, i.e. times are bad, people are bad. Prophet says, whoever says people have perished, then he's the worst of them all. He's the one who's perished the most. So we shouldn't think that I am good, people are bad. And that's why I need to keep myself to myself. No. In a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Muslim from Qurz al-Khuza'i radiyallahu an, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam describes the days of fitna. And then he adds, the best person in these days of fitna will be someone who will be hidden in a valley amongst the valleys, alone, worshipping, fearing his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, this is a key word, protecting the people from his own evil. So the meaning isn't that one flees to the valleys or the mountaintops or or high altitude. Isolating himself from everyone else because he thinks he's too good and everyone else is bad. And that they will corrupt him and he needs to protect his piety from them. No. Prophet says, He protects the people from his own evil. So, when one secludes oneself, one shouldn't do so with the understanding that I'm too good. This is why he told Uqbat ibn Amir in a hadith laid by Imam Tirmidhi and Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Uqbat ibn Amir said, O Messenger of Allah, man najah, what salvation? So what did the Prophet say to him? Meaning, control your tongue, let your home contain you, and what should you do? Weep over your sins. That's what you need to do. Weep over your sins. That's the meaning of secluding oneself. Not in arrogance that I am too good. 
and I am preserving my faith and protecting myself from everyone else. No, the understanding should be that I need to concern myself over my, with myself, weep over my sins, and protect people from my corrosive influence. That I shouldn't corrupt people. I am sinful. Because if anyone thinks people are bad, times, time, times are bad, then as the Messenger وسلم, says, he's the worst one of all of them. He's the worst of all of them. So, seclusion. As I mentioned in the previous dars, concern yourself with yourself. As Allah says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum, O believers, concern yourselves with yourselves. And in that beautiful hadith related by Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Muslim, Prophet sallallahu, he says that once we were seated with the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, so he said to us that a time will come upon the people when people will be filtered a thorough filtering, i.e. the good will be removed, the bad will be removed and distinguished from the good. They will be filtered and sieved a thorough filtering. And then the Prophet said, People's trusts and promises. People's promises will become confused. And their trusts will become lied. People will become untrustworthy. Their promises will be false. Their oaths will be false. And then the Prophet said, people will become like this, i.e. not united, but rather struggle, uh, sorry, entangled in struggle and conflict. So Abdullah ibn Amr stood up and went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, when this happens, what do you instruct me to do? May I be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet said, Ilzam baytak. Stay, stick to your home. And, Wamlik alayka lisanak. Control your tongue. Take only that which you recognize. Refuse and leave that which you do not recognize. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Concern yourself with yourself and leave the affair of the people. Concern yourself with yourself. This is something the Prophet ﷺ said time and time again. Concern yourself with yourself and not in the selfish manner. That, oh, I need to look after number one. I need to look after myself now. The meaning of concern yourself with yourself is, if you want to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, do it to yourself. If you want to change, forget changing the world and the people, change yourself. If you want to repair and reform, forget repairing and reforming others. Repair and reform yourself. Correct yourself. Rectify yourself. If you want to judge Judge yourself, not others. If you want to criticize, criticize yourself, not others. Think of yourself, not in the arrogant, selfish manner, but even in the negative manner, i.e. your sins, weep over your sins. 
Look at your faults. This is one of the most helpful things. Our problem is that we want to judge, condemn, criticise everyone else except ourselves. We want to change and reform everyone else except ourselves. We are so worried about other people's souls. What about being concerned of our own souls? SubhanAllah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari, Wallahi ma adri wa ana rasulullahi ma yuf'alu bi. By Allah, I do not know, even though I am the messenger of Allah, what will become of me. He was concerned about himself. And he was a messenger of Allah. So what of us? So the other thing is, seclude yourself, whether it's in valleys. Of course, this may not sound practical, but it's a metaphor. It's what we can understand, yes. For those, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari did that. He secluded himself. Many of us did that. But we may not be able to do it in valleys or mountaintops or high altitudes. But surely we can practice Self-introspection. Seclusion. And I don't mean isolation in the bad way. Look, everyone agrees company has its effect. Everyone agrees that. No one can deny that. (coughs) Company has its effect. Whether one is a Muslim or a non-Muslim, everyone accepts company has its effect. That's why we have mob mentality, gang behaviour. In fact, in many instances, if gang members were isolated from each other, many of them would not commit half of the crimes they commit in unison. But when they are together, peer pressure, mob mentality, crowd justice, this concept of belonging and identity, of not being the odd one out, not being left out. All of this drives a person to committing crimes which are horrendous and which are actually contrary to one's nature. This is why in many instances, serious uh, gang members, young ones, who have committed crimes, when they have been pulled away in isolation and made to reflect, they cannot recognize themselves. Sincerely, genuinely. We're not talking about the hardened criminal who just makes excuses, but those who genuinely are remorseful, contrite, and feel guilt, they actually look back at their actions. And what bewilders them is that they can't understand how they actually ended up committing that crime or that sin. The secret was, it was part of the gang, part of the mob. It was because of the company. It doesn't exonerate them. But those were powerful influences. Subhanallah, we see it in our families. Parents, look, parents try to give their children a good upbringing. They tried. We don't always succeed. But remember this much. Sometimes we, many people grow up with a sense of bitterness. 
my father didn't do this, my father didn't do that, my father did this right, my father did, that, did this wrong, did that wrong, i.e. we have expectations of our parents. We want our parents to be perfect. It's that same perfection again. We want our family setting to be perfect. We want our parents to be perfect. That dad and mum should have done this, should have done that, in this way, in that way. And sometimes, many people grow up with the sense of loss. That I lost that. I didn't get what I needed. My parents didn't do this. My parents didn't do that. The truth is, our parents aren't perfect beings. They are human beings. They are as flawed and as imperfect as anyone else. And remember this much. We may feel that towards our parents, but in our obsession with what we have lost out, we then fail in relation to our own children. If we want our children to forgive us our lapses and shortcomings, we must be willing to forgive our parents. So parents don't always succeed, but they do try. They try to give an upbringing, a good childhood, a good education, good advice to their children. And children live at home. Children then go to school, teachers in school, try to instill good values in children. Many hours of education, tutelage in school, many hours of living at home. And this goes on day in, day out for years. And then you find a 16-year-old teenager. That teenager has spent 16 years at home, 11 years in school, maybe even 12. And for those Muslims who go to Maktab or the Qutab, they've spent at least 10, 12 hours every week since the age of five. So for the past 11 years, on average, they've spent about 10-12 hours each week being taught religious education in the madrasa. So how much input have they, have they had? The input of their father, the input of their mother over 16 years, the input of their school teachers, all of them over 11 years, the input of their madrasa, religious teachers and scholars over 11-12 years. And then at the age of 16, that teenager who's had so much input meets another 16-year-old teenager, and the two of them hit off. In one month, both of them can wash away all the tarbiyah and ta'aleem and education and input of this array of teachers, parents, and scholars. In one month. And we've seen that. Friends have a greater influence over each other than even parents than even teachers. That's the power of the influence of company. This is why Allah and His Rasul have said, be mindful of your company. Company has its effect, not just on children, but even on adults. How many marriages are destroyed because 
one of the spouses, either the husband or the wife, has bad company and bad advice. How many marriages have been destroyed? A bad friend can even destroy the love between a husband and wife. I have dealt with cases where Forget a bad friend destroying the love between husband and wife and destroying the marriage. I have dealt with cases where a bad friend, and a bad adult friend, has destroyed not only the marriage, but also destroyed the relationship between the parents and all of his or her children. That's what one friend can do. That's the effect of company. And we all recognize that. Muslim Non-Muslim, religious, irreligious, non-religious, it doesn't matter. We all accept the powerful effect of company. And this is the meaning of all of these ahadith. It's not about secluding oneself and isolating oneself from society. These are the teachings of hadith that in days and periods and in a climate of and an atmosphere of confusion, religious confusion, What does a person do? A person is far safer, minding their own business, keeping themselves to themselves, and when they choose company, choosing good company, rather than being judgmental and critical of others, to be introspective and to look at oneself. This is the meaning of all of these ahadith. Finally, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, along with Concerning oneself with oneself, weeping over one's sins, being introspective, looking at oneself. Secluding oneself from fitting. And not involving oneself with this fitna and confusion. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has told us to be patient, I perseverant, firm on one's faith. And to continue doing what a believer should be doing, which is their relationship with Allah and their ibadah. This is why in one hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says that doing ibadah in fitna is equivalent to doing hijrah to me. I.e., if someone continues to remain steadfast upon the religion of Allah even in the days of fitna. The reward is equivalent to someone who did hijrah during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to al-Madinatul Munawwara. Imagine. That's the reward. Al-ibadat fil-fitna. Al-ibadat fil-fitna. Kal-hijrati ilayh. Doing ibadah in fitna is like doing hijrah to me. And finally, Allah has promised a great reward for those who come later. You see, we have come later in the ummah. True. But the Prophet ﷺ has not excluded us from reward. He's given us many glad tidings. In one hadith, this nation is like the rain. It is not known whether the first part of the rain is better or the latter part. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam spoke favorably of 
those who will come after him and who will believe in him even though they haven't seen him. And he praised them and commended them to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And in that famous hadith of Abu Tha'labah al-Khushani radiallahu in which again the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa speaks about fitna, not using the word fitna, but uh, that's a meaning. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says to Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that you should enjoin the good, you should forbid the evil until you see four things. And inshallah, I'll devote another session to the commentary of this one hadith about the four traits of fitna. So until you see these four traits of fitna, you should enjoin the good and forbid the evil. Once you see these four traits, what should you do? Then you should concern yourself with yourself. For indeed, this is a narration of Ibn Majah in his Sunan, Indeed, after that time, there will be days during which remaining firm on one's religion will be like clutching cinders, burning coals. And then in the same hadith, in the narration of Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood, the Prophet ﷺ further said that whoever continues to do good in these days of fitna, when things will be such, when clutching, when remaining perseverant on religion will be like clutching cinders and holding on to burning coals, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, For anyone who does good in these days, they shall receive the reward of 50 men who do the same deed. 50 men. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum said, Ya Rasulullah, 50 of them or 50 of us? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, 50 of you. So anyone who continues to do ibadah and good deeds in the days of fitna, according to this hadith, he shall receive the reward of 50 of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Now, this doesn't mean that anyone's better than the Sahaba, far from it. Far from it. This is not the meaning. The meaning is that in certain deeds, in certain circumstances, this individual who will come later will receive a reward for that deed in that situation will, which will be 50 times the equivalent of a sahabi radiallahu anhu not in a similar situation, but of a Sahabi who was never in that situation. Otherwise, if a Sahabi is in a situation, and a non-Sahabi is in a situation, and they both perform the same deed, then without doubt, the Sahabi radiallahu anhu is far, far superior in every way. So, this isn't general, it's very specific. But still, if a believer finds themselves in a difficult situation of fitna, and they remain patient and firm and perseverant, and they continue to do their good deeds, Allah will grant them the reward of hijrah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the reward of 50 sahaba radiallahu anhum for the same deed. These are just some of the rewards. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us all to understand, may Allah make it easy for us, and Allah strengthen us, in our difficulty 
truth is we have still got it very lucky. We are very lucky. We've still got it good. We are very fortunate. And we should always pray for afiyah and protection. SubhanAllah. Compare ourselves to others who are in great difficulty simply for being Muslim or for claiming to be Muslim or taking the name of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For us, it may be a minor inconvenience, but for others, it's an existential threat. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. May Allah enable us to follow in the footsteps of the noble Sahaba radiyallahu anhum and follow the sunnah of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك